So good to see everybody. I am going to be uh, following up on this love thing, and I'm excited about it. I want to pray tonight to get to the point, <laughs> because as I'm involved in this thing, there's a it, it's it's a little overwhelming how central the love of God is, and it's a little frustrating how we miss that point so much. So anyway, Father, I, I just uh, invite you to come and just release in us permission to make love as big a deal as it is. Release in us permission to recognize that you are love and that your redemptive plans, that your heart toward us and plans toward us are good. They're that of a father towards a child, as a father towards sons and daughters. We just ask to be lifted up into love and into the love that we have become by virtue of being in, in Christ. And so I thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> okay, so um, tonight we're going to look at Part three of this love thing, and uh, it says, but now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. And just the reason I chose that as a lead-in little, little verse segment is think about how important faith is. There are whole denominations that focus almost exclusively on faith. And, and the ability to exercise faith, the ability to have faith, the ability to operate in faith is the most important thing in many, many chunks of, of Christianity. Hope, from a psychological and an emotional health standpoint, hope is a huge deal. Right? But love is the greatest of those two. Just as a measuring stick, that's all. Just as a valuable. So we're going to start there and kind of take a look at it. So this is a tiny bit of a a review, love created and commissioned. And that symbol sort of represents the fact that we learn about God from the, from the uh, present back, in a sense. Not because there's not a bunch of stuff that, that was revealed in Scripture early on. Uh, as you, you know, in Genesis, it talked about God creating and all this kind of stuff. And we track His love through the nation of Israel and everything. But Jesus is really the one by way of revelation and incarnation that put a fine point on who God is. But what we sometimes, I think, fail to realize is that the God that we get to know in Jesus, the God that we encounter in Jesus, is the same God that created. It's the same God that decided to create. It's the same God that's always been doing so. And so the beauty of that, uh, there in Genesis, God chose to create, John 1.1. 1, 1. So, so just, uh, and for any of you that are relatively new, Something that, that the Lord showed me a while ago, and uh, I had a privilege to dig into it quite a bit. Nancy actually even let me teach love at one of her conferences one time, uh, is that there's four times in the, in the New Testament where the phrase God is, is followed by a noun. There are some other times where it talks about God using adjectives and adverbs, and I'm not saying those things are not true or those qualities are not true, but there's something different about uh, uh, 
an affirmative statement that says God is. And those four things are God is spirit. Jesus said that to the woman at the well when she was talking to him about where to worship and how. In uh, Hebrews, it says God is a consuming fire. And consuming is an adjective or an adverb, adjective. Yeah, adjective. It's, uh, it's, it's a modifier of the word fire, but fire is the noun. So God is fire. And then in 1 John chapter 1, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So it's God is light. And then two times in 1 John chapter 4, God is love. Because God is love. And so um, that became kind of an important reality to me. And I try to keep in mind that this is who God is. So when I'm reading a story in the Old Testament, when I'm engaging in the presence of the Lord in prayer, or anything along those lines, I'm continuing to look for the characteristic, the reality. And it's more than just a characteristic. It's the actual essence of who God is. God is spirit, fire, light, and love. So that's what we're looking at here. Had to come up with some kind of symbol to sort of represent God as love. And so we've been looking at that for a couple of weeks. And then that same love, the one who was love, was sent, was incarnate, became sin, and saved us. So that's the connection we've been working on for a, few, a little while. And this this whole thing has started with us trying to understand our own nature as image bearers of God and what was restored as image bearers by Christ on the cross. So if if that's who God is, now, it took a little bit different form, right? Because it it, it, it was cruciform, it was suffering, there was a the thorns, but it's the same love. And that's what this is trying to depict. So, if love was the motive and love was the one who created, and if love was the motive and is the motive and is the one who redeems, then obviously we're being called to respond to love. And so how do we do that? Well, fortunately, as with all really important decisions, you generally don't have that many options. Where do we want to go to lunch? That's not that important a decision. So you could spend hours figuring out which of the places you wanted to go. But honestly, this is just something that I've learned to be true throughout life. It, the more important a, a decision you're faced with, the more important an issue you're looking at, the fewer the options are to deal with it. So, one is we can try to ignore the invitation. Now, there's a problem with that, two, twofold, really. And one of the problems is in ignoring love, this kind of love, the God who is love, he's relentless. And ignoring him is a full-time job. You have to really be diligent. You have to really work hard at it. So it's not an easy proposition. It's not a very satisfying answer to what to do and how to respond to the invitation of love. The other problem with that is that ignoring love robs you of almost every good thing in this life. And you know, uh, your testimony about things getting reconciled a little bit in family and getting easier, love's for sure, playing a role in the middle of that. There's just no way around it. 
You know, every good thing you see, every, uh, <clears throat> Vic and I were watching a video of uh, a lady that uh, adopted a newly born mouse. This little mouse's mother, this little mouse's mother uh, had uh, gotten injured and it had a parasite and it was desperately trying to get the little mouse into a place where it would be safe and then it died. And the woman, uh, that place was the place in her home and she just adopted it and went through the whole thing of having to feed it and rub its belly so it could go to the bathroom and just all kinds of stuff. And as goofy as it sounds talking about it, all that was, was love being stirred up in her. And of course, this little mouse grew up and, and survived. Uh, and uh, uh, the video was over a few months. And it was just goofy and crazy. And it would crawl up and just burrow into her hair and sit there all day long. And, you know, just <laughs> the kind of stuff you don't think there. But there's no question watching it that love was was at work in the heart. So whatever it is that, that, that you see or you hear or love is behind that emotional turning and stirring. It's a big deal. Okay, so that's one thing you can try to do, but it's not very successful. Now, unfortunately, a lot of people are engaged in that. Or we can acknowledge and we can receive love because love is being given to us as an invitation. Okay? So the question now is, what do we receive it as? And that's what I want us to get in. And, and we've, we've pretty much agreed, uh, obviously, for those of you who just heard it, you'll have to think about it. We pretty much agreed that Love is, is the driving reality behind creation. And love is the driving reality behind redemption. So since that's the case, we have chosen in this room, for the most part, to acknowledge and receive love. So how do we do it? Well, you can receive love as a concept. A lot of people do that. I was thinking biblically, that I think is what happened on Mars Hill when Paul was talking about, you know, uh, I see you're a spiritual people and uh, you have all these gods and you have a uh, statue to an unknown God. I want to tell you who that God is. And he talked and everything. And if you remember the res response of the Athenians that were there was, hmm, this is interesting, these words that you're saying. We want to consider more about this. That's kind of what I mean about love being received as a concept. Almost everybody thinks love is a good idea. But a lot of people, unfortunately, because of either their experience in life or the choices that they've made or where they're at, love is only an idea. They don't, they can't put their finger on, on what love really is. And they try substituting other things for it. A lot of other relational things and some destructive things and medicating things. So we could choose to acknowledge and receive this invitation into love as a concept. But I think there's a better way. So here's another way. We could do it as a doctrine. Um, you notice how the concept's kind of like your thinking bubble and it's all soft and fuzzy and the doctrine is kind of ba -bum. I'm not saying it's wrong to think of love as a doctrine. Uh, it is. God is love. And there's a whole bunch in the Bible about love. And I know a lot of people who when you, when you rub up against them, when you bump into them, when you get, try to get into their world a little bit, when I do, 
it seems to me like love is just one stage above a concept. It's a concept that's backed up by Scripture. And therefore, if it was good enough for Paul and it was good enough for Peter, it's good enough for me. But I don't think love is designed to be engaged that way as a doctrine. I don't mind it being a doctrine. I like doctrine. But I don't think love is is that type of thing. Okay? This is a related way to receive love. And it's as a duty. And I didn't know how to put a little handle on that, so it looked like one of those dumbbelly things, you know. Do you know anybody who seems to relate to love as a duty? Or have you ever done it? You sort of grit your teeth and bear down and love somebody. I'm not saying again that that, that love's not a duty. Matter of fact, Scripture says it is. First uh, John says you ought to love your brothers because God loved you. So there is an ought to it. But does anybody here feel like that's the most satisfying, most productive, best way to think of love? I don't think so either. So here's one. We can think about love and receive love, acknowledge love as a gift. That's pretty good, huh? Uh, You don't seem too excited about that. (laughs) But you know what? A lot of people talk about that. I'm just a sinner saved by grace, you know? Uh, This is a little bit about how I think love is interpreted as grace in the church. Um, That it's a gift that I don't deserve it. Um, But, yeah, like you've turned a corner with that testimony about the, yes, you do. You deserve what God gives you in that support. You deserve what's going to open the door. Do you think that we deserve to be loved? Because if you don't think so, you're taking sides against what God thinks. Because love is what he does, and it's his motive. And so as powerful as it is to to acknowledge and be grateful for a gift, and that's one thing that 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 does, is it brings gratitude into the thing. It brings the concept of receiving it. It's miles above being viewing love as a duty, and it's miles above it being a doctrine. And it's way more practical and more personal and more useful than it being a concept. But don't you feel like there's still something missing? I do. Obviously, because I know there's another button push. So here, here's, here's what, I, what I think love is. Love is a relationship. Love is to be received and acknowledged as a relationship. There's no such thing as love without relationship. It's not a label you can put on something, even if you dumb it down like we were talking about on Tuesday to, I love peanut butter. Well, if you don't have peanut butter, your love for it will eventually either wane or just turn into a a memory. But I don't really even think that's what we mean when we say that. So I was thinking, all right, if this is true, and if we either have to ignore love and the invitation that it is from God as God, or we have to acknowledge and receive it, the way to receive it is as a relationship. So that led me to to think about some stuff, and I have to check a note here. 
So I was thinking about a story, and I think this is kind of corny, but I'm going to try it anyway. So there was a culture, and I just made this up. There was this culture. And for whatever reason, in the development of this culture, uh, by the time we're taking a look at it, the culture had evolved, devolved, however you want to think about it, however it got there. I don't know the history. But it had gotten to the place where the people were always on the brink of starvation and dehydration. And a select few people in this culture developed some techniques, and if we were to look at it and measure it by what we know in medicine, we would see something like uh, intravenous fluid treatment or something like that. And so just what happened, even from the very, very beginning, as soon as the child started getting weaned, they had to have somebody who was a specialist, a professional. They had to have them once a day, they would hook them up, and then they developed the those deals, uh, I forget what it's called, where you have something when you have to go intervenous for a while. A what? A port, yeah, a port. So they, they, there were ports. And these ports, you know, they were all kinds of things. There was just like the cheapest port possible, and there was a, there was bad ones and dirty ones and blah, blah, blah. Then there were other people, and those ports, most everybody had a bandage that held it on. But some of those bandages were super ornate. They had become a part of the daily life, this this culture. These people, everybody. And, and so there were, they even became like status structures depending on how that port and how that cover was. And it was jeweled and it was this and it was that. But the bottom line of the thing is that everybody, they had to, they had to go to one of these professional people and they had to get hooked up and they had to use their port. And if you happen to miss it, you didn't die instantly, but boy, I tell you what, two or three days and all of a sudden, you started getting weak and you started getting dizzy and that just reinforced how important it was to go and get this stuff. And then this stuff became known as the substance of life itself because to do without it meant you died. And some people did. And those stories just amplified the importance of taking care of this. Well, not only did the, did the mechanism of this, the port and the, the thing that hooked you up to the what we would call an IV treatment or an IV therapy, and all you know, not only did that become cultural and did it become beautiful and it become expansive, it became a status symbol. Uh, it became just all kinds of importance attached to it. Not only that, but the people, the few people who knew how to do this, how to administer this substance of life, they became really, really, really important as well. They became, they were the elite of the society. They were the beloved ones. And, you know, like any group of people, some of them were nice and some of them were jerks. Some of them were in it for themselves and some of them were in it for the people. Some of them left the, the good part, you know, of that thing that we'd probably call it the high paying part, the high paying job, the, the status. And they'd go out and find people who hadn't hadn't had a treatment in a while and they were suffering and they would rescue those people. And so there was all, you know, but this was the culture. And uh, so I just want you to think about that culture for a little bit. And then I'm going to tell you about something that happened in that culture. So then one day, 
one day, and this had been just going on, and this whole thing involved around this, and all the cultural, social marks of it. One day, a person showed up in the central city of this culture. And uh, he didn't have one of these things on. And people said, well, how'd you get here? He said, well, I, uh, I canoed a little while, and then I swam through the lake. Swam? Really? And uh, he said, yeah, yeah. And he, he noticed, and he says, I, I, didn't, I didn't believe this was true, but I had heard about you guys. I had heard about you. And uh, he says, now I, do, I see that it's true. And he was looking you know, at everybody's jewelry and everybody's portrait thing. And he says, why do, you, why do you do that? And they go, well, if we don't do that, we'll die. And he goes, are you sure? And they go, well, yeah, we just had somebody die the other day. They, they got stuck out someplace and they couldn't get back for three days and they were dead. So now you can obviously see the point of the story, right? Life was all around these people. All they had to do was take their hands and dip it in the stream that ran through town or in the pond or in this thing and drink two or three times a day, four or five times a day. They could just jump in and drink. They'd never made the connection that other animals did stuff like that, birds did stuff like you know. And all they had to do is go over, because this wasn't a desert. There was fruit growing on the trees. There was stuff going out. There were certain plants you could pull up, and it looked like they had these brown tubers on the bottom. They were in the midst of life-giving resource. But they didn't know that that's where it was. That's what it was. Now, sadly, some of the people that controlled the system did because they would go out and they would collect the water and they would go out and they would process the nutrients and they would put it in this IV solution. But that's what I think we have... Okay, so that's an illustration in my heart about the importance of understanding how central love is to this whole thing. And shamefully, in a way, and I don't use that word too often, but shamefully, in a way, I can look at my own history as a pastor, an individual in our culture, trying to help people find life. And I realize that I acted as if I was the one that had to dispense that to them. And I was only a person who needed life myself and should have passed on how I got it. Love created everything. A few, uh, a couple months ago, we were looking at the Holy Spirit and we listed all the way back from creation on how every time the Holy Spirit manifested a work, it was to create union with people and God. He organized creation in such a way 
The Spirit organized creation in such a way that the Father's desires for people could be met and they could live there. And the trees and the plants and the food and the water was all there. So I know the story that I made up was kind of stupid, but because who could possibly live that way? But then I would say, can you envision at least a sort of a corollary that we live in a world that was made by love? We live in a world that has been invaded and redeemed by love. And we look for other things and feel like they're a necessity. Like, do you have an accountability partner? Do you have daily devotions? I'm not against these things. I'm saying, look at what we invest in them. Or if we receive it as a a doctrine. Well, let's go back to the concept. Scroll back, for those of you that are old enough, to the 60s. And love was a hot commodity in the 60s. But it didn't resemble very much what we're talking about when we talk about the love of God. It was a lot of people using a lot of other people to try to make sense out of a crazy world. Love is a concept. It leaves us in all kinds of weird ways. Love is a doctrine. Is, a, is something that, unfortunately, I, most of the time when I hear somebody that talks about love as a doctrine, they're talking about it and comparing it with other doctrines. You know, like righteousness. Or like judgment. Or like deliverance. Or whatever the case is. Love's not like anything. <laughs> it is. He is. We are. It deserves a status above and beyond the things that it's normally compared to. It'll do more. It'll change. It'll transform. It'll do stuff like that. Love is a duty. That's a tragedy. I mean, honestly. If there's anything that that gives the wrong impression about love, it's perceiving it as a duty. But I think sometimes... It's easier to traffic in love like a duty or like a doctrine or even a gift or even a gift because a gift still puts us in a position to say, well, I've got it. I've got one and you don't. And I really think that thinking needs to be gotten away from because I don't think it applies to God. Now, are there people that that have the gift of love and don't know it, don't receive the benefit? Of course there are. And, and so that's, you know. But should somebody die just because they don't know they can go get a drink and they're too far away to get their nightly IV by the people that control life? No. No, I don't think so. So anyway, what I want to show us tonight is that I want to give you permission, if possible, and me, to let love be a, as big a deal as it deserves to be. And I don't think it's possible for us to do that, to tell you the truth, because God is love. And there's a whole bunch of truth about God that is as true as true can be, and it's beyond our ability to understand and relate to and imagine. He's the one that can do above what we ask or imagine. But what should we expect from love who creates? What must we believe about love who redeems? And we're going to have one more little symbol Right, what well, two more symbols come in. You saw one of them last week. Right this moment, love is reigning from heaven. We'll look at that in just a second in detail. And it's the same thing. There's, he's still spirit. He's still fire. He's still love. He's still love. Jesus manifests in some other ways. 
But what should we expect from love who creates? Ephesians 1 through 4. We should expect that God had in his heart before he ever created that you and I and your neighbor and your weird uncle and the people across the land that live with an entirely different culture would all be conformed to the image of Jesus, his son. In love, he predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of time so that everything was going to come together. That's one expectation. We should have the expectation that love itself, love himself, created everything with a view to being all in all. Now, I don't know what all in all means. I'll be honest. I mean, I have an idea. I know what all means. And I know what in all might mean. (laughs) But you know what I'm saying? It's bigger than we understand, for sure. This passage is the quintessential eschatological prophecy in the New Testament. In the end, when Jesus has uh, brought every every, uh, rule and authority under his feet, then he will hand the kingdom to his God and Father, and God will be all in all. But what it has to mean, even if I can't know the difference, and you can't, I mean the details, and you can't know the details, it has to mean that there are no deficiencies, no deficits, no disconnections, no voids. Because God is all in all. And he can't, in his nature, suffer that kind of deficiency or void. So whatever it means, all that God is, is going to be in all that is. That's an, ex- that's an amazing expectation. And if, if, you, if you take that seriously, if you give, for instance, 2 Corinthians 15.28, a heavier weight in your eschatological and prophetic uh, schema, you're not going to be as troubled by some of the ugly-looking, weird things you see in Revelation. Because it's it's on the way to God being all in all. Does that make sense? Okay. John seventeen twenty six. Jesus makes an astounding statement, and I've heard people preach on it. And we all, when we did it, uh, and when others have done it, we do it fondly. But what it says is freaking astounding. So that the love that you loved me with before you made the world, will be in them, and I will be in them. So the measure, the standard of love that we're talking about trying to receive, this is why we can't just think of it as a concept. We have to think through the concept of it into the relationship. The measurement of the standard of the love is not just like a, oh, aren't you cute? I love you. It's the love that powered the union of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from before there was ever a creation. That's what Jesus says. That the same love that you loved me with, Father, and this is his prayer. He's not lying while he's praying. He doesn't lie when he teaches it either, but he's, he's definitely not while he's talking to the Father. You and I are not loved with an inferior love or a segmented love or a piece of love. We are loved by our Father just like He loves the Son and the Son loves Him. That's, that's really like amazing. Uh, do you think? You think? Huh? 
Well, I, I actually, you know, I asked that same question, and then I felt like part of the answer that emerged over a few days was, that's a little bit of a, uh, a, an odd question, Larry, because how could I not do that? I, I am love. In other words, I don't have several categories of love. I am love. The reason that I, speaking to me, when Laura speaking to me and answering that question, the reason you can do that is because you're not, you're not operating as if you are love and have become love. You, you're operating like love is a, a quantity of something that you have and you give a little bit of it to one person and a lot of it to another. But he said, I don't, I don't do that because how would I quantify who I am? I go, wow. There's a lot of God. Yeah. Yeah. I think they call it an infinite amount of God. But but that was that's the idea. So um okay, how about this one? First Timothy two four. No matter whether we know how this is going to happen or not, it says really plainly that God wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That's a little bit, and that needs to be read in light a little bit of God's going to be all in all. When he made us, he's going to be all in all. And he wants all men to know. So I don't know how he's going to do it. And sometimes it seems almost impossible, sort of like the incarnation or sort of like creation in the first place. And the last one is uh, he has always had in his mind, this is, remember the question, what should we expect from love who creates? Love who creates and who created always had in mind the reconciliation of all things. Always. He'd spoke about it prophetically and so on and so forth. We'll see that in more detail. Great. It's on? Okay. Oh, there um, we go. Good. Going by memory here, there's a verse in Romans where Paul says, the Spirit bears witness with us in such a way that we cry, Abba, Father. Now, he relates our cry as, uh, I assume, adopted orphans into the family of God. We say, Abba, Father. It's, mm -hmm. He's talking like it's natural. We're going to say, Abba, Father. Whereas we weren't that before the Spirit did what Paul's describing. You said something on Tuesday that was really powerful to me, and I had a five-year-old distraction with me, so I couldn't follow. <laughs> I was online. I was attending yeah, online. Okay. Um, you said in your travels, in your experiences, with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that you had all kinds of groups, good groups, mm -hmm. well-intended, and they were saying truth. Uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit will introduce you to healings. You have the ability to do this. But you said you had never encountered someone talk to you about the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the context of love, of God's love. Yeah. And I, what you said next, I think, was super important. I didn't hear it. No. <laughs> and I feel like it relates to this. So. Well, it, it does relate to the idea that the primary function of the Spirit of God, and we'll see it in just a second because I've got a verse up here, Greg, I think that's one you're talking to, uh, is, is to reveal the love of the Father, to, to engage us with the love of the Father, to let us become, and, uh, become uh, familiar with, experience, and then to transform us into that love. That's what I think. That's what I think that is. That, which means love is the power that they were told to wait for, and love is what they came out of it with. All right. So I think we'll get there. Let me go through this real quick. What must we believe about love who redeems? Well, in First John four sixteen, we have to know and believe the love that He has for us, and that has to be for me too. 
Not just us. Not just some generic love. Not a love as a concept. But real, live love. For me. Second, Ephesians 3, 14-19. Paul prays that we would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. I don't know what knowing something that surpasses knowledge is like. It means moving into it. It means being absorbed by it. It means manifesting it somehow. It's more than just a head thing. It's an actual engagement thing. It's looking and seeing and experiencing and realizing, wow, this is, this is it. I'm with this. I'm in this. Uh, oh, one other point. This was another thing that I, I said. And I don't remember if that was the part that follows up on you, Greg, but if you'll think about the positioning of Ephesians 3, 14 through 19, at the end of chapter 3, Paul is basically saying that all my prayers for all that I told you about what God planned to do, all my prayers are focused right now on the point that I want you to know the height, the depth, the breadth, and the fullness of the love of Christ and the love that is in Christ and all this kind of stuff. Now, that's the end, effectively, of chapter 3. Chapter 4 in Ephesians, in my entire life, was always taught as a standalone chapter about Christ giving gifts to men, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, and then the significance of those gifts and the duration, the presence of those gifts is what we fought about between when I was a Baptist and when I became a Pentecostal. Because some said, well, uh, no, these things are not there, but the measuring stick at the bottom of that is is for the equipping of the saints until they come to the fullness and the uh, uh, of the, the stature, the fullness and the measure of the stature of Jesus. Well, if you take the chapter breakout and you just read starting in verse 14 down through the rest, what you see is that Paul is praying that we would know the depth and the width and the height and the love of God which surpasses knowledge and can be found fully in Christ Jesus, and that Jesus gave gifts to men called apostles, prophets, uh, evangelists, pastors, and teachers so that they would... Yes, that love. Exactly. That love until they were full of the fullness and measure and stature of Jesus. And the other thing, Greg, so maybe that was the follow-up to that point, because I said one other thing that I had never had preached is I have never heard in my life the importance of Christ giving apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers built around love. But it's undeniable if you just read it. There's another set of scriptures that does the same thing. I'll tell you in a little bit. Uh, John 13, 34, the simplicity, the simplicity of Jesus giving the new command is that this is a new command, that you love one another as I have loved you, and that you love one another. We'll see it in detail in just a second. 1 Timothy 1, 5, the goal of apostolic teaching, the goal of biblical teaching, Paul says, is love. Not doctrinal conformity. Not discipleship, not anything else. And, and of course, now it makes total sense. See, as we're looking at this stuff, and we take time to slow down and look at it, love is the is the ground and the goal of everything, because it's what it's what it's the it's God who made everything. It's God who is active in the in, in the Redeemer, the salvation. And so, of course, love is going to be the centerpiece of the whole thing. And then in First John four seven. Love casts out fear, 
and prepares us for judgment. What is it that prepares you for judgment? It's not lockstep conformity to doctrine. I'm all for following the truth, you know. It's not being on the right side of every eschatological prophecy. It's love. Love is what prepares you and me to face the judgment that is inevitable because God is light. And so we can say, judge me, Lord, without fear. And that scripture suggests if you can't say that, it's because love is not perfected in you. It's not that you're missing righteousness. You're missing love. Right? I think. I mean, I I am preaching over my head. I understand that. But So now we have this other symbol. Love was sin again, and now we're right in the middle of it. And Holly, I know you're thinking, and we are it. We might, you know, that's the transformation. Like, what is the Holy Spirit transforming us into if not love? He's not transforming us into more religious people. He had to transform religious people out of religion into love. He's not transforming us in, you know, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot going on, but love is the centerpiece of it. So now we've got a new symbol, and that's how we're going to examine. And I just want to, now, I want to run through. So, the focus tonight, and I might take a little extra time because I don't know what's going on. Are your kids back there with Laurel? Okay. They're quiet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so tonight's focus. Until then, until when? Until then, King Jesus reigns and transforms us through love and transforms through us with love. And here's what I'm saying. So these are those two verses that I think we can ascribe to the heart of the love who redeems. All right. Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus the Christ appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his prophets, his holy prophets in ancient times. That's where this symbol came from in, in my head. That's where this symbol came from. Jesus is now. Now, we have ascribed to God the Father a monarchical throne existence that is rarely spoken about in the Scripture. Even when he came down on top of Mount Sinai and, and revealed himself as much as he could to the children of Israel and to Moses, it wasn't as a guy, as one sitting on a throne, right? It was, it was one standing before Moses talking as a, a man talks to his friend. This, this whole monarchy thing, uh, Ezekiel's vision of the uh, holy RV, you know, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. Uh, yeah, there's the, there's the throne vault. And I'm not saying that God's not enthroned. Uh, but even that is a relational thing when you read about it in Psalms. It says he's enthroned on the praises of his people. We think about God as a as an earthly monarch, elevated and blown up in big proportion, and just a little nicer than Zeus. But that's not what this stuff talks about. But there is a throne, and Jesus is on that throne right now, at the right hand of the Father. And there is a ruling capability, but that throne, when it's spoken about in the New Testament, especially in Hebrews chapter 4, is spoken of as the throne of grace. And we're going to see in just a minute that grace is a byproduct of love. So it's the throne 
built with love. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God and Father, when he abolishes all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself also will be subjected to the one who has subjected all things to him so that God may be all in all. Now, we live in the tension between that prophesied restoration of all things and the fulfillment of it through the rule of Christ. Those two verses right there, those two things, connect those in your head and they will give you the grounds to face eschatology, to face the world to come, to face the events of the day, to face the current thing. Because that is connected to that. That's what's happening in the midst today. Now, I am as conscious of the difficulties in our culture as anybody that I know. The medical difficulties we face, the bureaucratic difficulties, the lies, the horrific things that were done in the name of COVID, um, the things that are being done to children. These are horrible things. There's no question about it. But we have a legitimate reason to believe that love can change anything and anyone. And we have, I think, a responsibility to believe that. And to, Because if we don't act in this world under the influence of the one who is love, if we don't embrace and receive love as a relationship that transforms us. And you'll see in a minute that we we pretty much have to. So how do we respond to love? How about living in it and living as love? Um, This isn't the exact scripture you were talking about, Greg, but this is one that lays the same principle out. Therefore, having been justified by faith, faith is important. Justification by faith is a whole doctrine that the Reformed Church is built on. It's what Martin Luther led revolt against the Catholic Church to emphasize. But look where faith fits in the hierarchy of things. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. (coughs) And we exult in hope of the glory of the Lord. And hope does not disappoint. Why? Because hope is so amazing? No, hope is amazing. I'm not denigrating any of these things. Thank God that that faith rose to the level of importance it did. Thank God that grace was associated with faith. But why, why as a general foundational understanding did we not keep reading down through verse 5? And hope does not disappoint, and this is why. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And so that's where, along with the other one about him crying out, Abba, Father, this is where it defines what the central role of him is. The Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit makes room in our heart for Jesus to live there by faith, and he pours out the love of God. And that's why hope isn't false. Because the love of God has been poured into our heart. Love gives meaning to hope. Love gives meaning to grace. Grace would be meaningless without love, honestly. You wouldn't have anything to attach it to. 
Love gives meaning to faith. Yes, Ronnie. I'm on. Is there going to be a scripture coming up where Tuesday night we saw that love is the spirit or it's given to us by the, not by the spirit, but it, besides this? I don't know. Okay. Well, there was something that we did Tuesday night. You guys should tune in on Tuesday night, I yeah. guess. <laughs> okay. What it impacted me with was the idea that the spirit is love. And it was, pretty clearly delineated in that particular scripture. Well, consider... Oops, what? No. So, um, while I was thinking about that and listening to what I was listening to, God revealed to me that there's a scripture that a lot of us use to help us through doing things the right way. And it talks, it says, not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, spirit says, says the, Lord. the Lord. And as God does with me, he had me change the word spirit to something else. Uh-huh. So, not by power, not by might, but by my love, mm-hmm. says the Lord. So, when it comes to the time of, okay, how can this be done? How can I be involved in it? How can I make it happen, it's not by power or by my might, but by God's love. And the love that the Spirit has poured out in my heart, the love that is God, that the Spirit is and shares. Yeah, all that. I think it's legitimate. I mean, I I, I can understand if people would make a case in another way, or they would segment these things up. But I just think that there's enough scriptural evidence that to treat love as another aspect of God is wrong. It's not a good interpretation of it because God is love. And it sounds a little more confusing when you throw in spirit and fire and light, but it's not because it's just who God is that allows God to be that. Now, so regardless of if you want to take that into a very full perichoretic Trinitarian thing where the spirit and the father and the son are all one, of course, then that, that then the spirit is love. The spirit is spirit. The spirit is love. You know, I don't. So I don't know where we need to go with that. But at the very least, that even if you don't take it to that full trinitarian kind of understanding and definition, it's my spirit says the Father, or the spirit of Christ. So so love. That's that is who the spirit is. Is not a, the spirit isn't an emissary or a part or a third of God that is different. So I think it's legit to do that. And the difference, so you know, speaking back into my history as a Symbols of God person, when we read that, when we read that, um, not by my not my power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, we didn't interpret it very accurately. I can say that to be sure. In other words, what we would say, if I were to be honest, the way we interpreted that scripture is not by might, not by physical power, but by spiritual power. And that, and it, because we didn't conceive of something more intrinsic to the spirit than power. And the reason was because we emphasized wait in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. I'm not saying the spirit doesn't have power. I am saying that more likely than not, and in more, most cases, the power of the spirit is going to manifest in love. 
I think, I mean, because love is God. Yeah, yeah. Love plays a role in it more than we thought, more than I thought. But now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of them is love. So even when faith is an action, or when hope is a necessity, and they are, they are what they are because of love. And so behind all of these scriptures is who God is in our midst as spirit, fire, light, and love, love. All right, so call to respond and to become love as our expression of what we learn. I already talked about this one. The goal of our instruction is love from pure heart and a good conscience. Why do you study the scripture? To love, to become love, to become love. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 1, 2, 3. Love defines how we minister in the Spirit. If I speak with the tongue of men and angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. There's a lot of people who don't like the fact that they that we teach that speaking in tongues still goes on that would agree with this verse, but not very many will agree with the next couple. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, well, they'd still be okay with that one too. And if I have all faith, that one would start to create some problems. So as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And then this one would be the bane on almost everybody. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me none. This, I don't know why we haven't seen what the simple statement that Paul was making, the revelation he was bringing. Love is the ground of all of this. It's the ground of all of this. John 13, 34. Love is the means of obeying Jesus. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. How do we do that, Lord? Well, here, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. That's pretty simple. It's even repeated because he knew we didn't listen the first time. (laughs) That's why I don't mind repeating it a little bit because we're not hearing it. We're not hearing that love is the driving power of creation, of redemption, of kingdom building, of everything. So here's the preeminence of love in relationship to law and prophecy. I'm not down on law and prophecy. I don't have to be anymore. I don't have to trade something so that love doesn't get shortchanged, because it can't be. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this you shall not uh, for you for, for this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. You don't have to take anything away from prophecy. You don't have to take anything away from law. You just need to realize that they're about love. They're fulfilled in love. They call out for, they're realized in love. How about this one? Jesus said this, 
And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbors yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. What was the law about? Love. What was Ezekiel's wild prophecies about? Daniel's wild prophet visions and dreams about? They're about love. We have to believe that. Otherwise, we're going to constantly be reinterpreting them according to other criteria, according to other power. Further preeminence in love in the realm of knowledge and mystery and ministry. Love never fails. This is at the end of that love chunk of First Corinthians, but, but I've never seen it connect quite like this. Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away with, and if there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away with, for we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I came a man, I did away with childish things. For now we've seen a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I will be, I will know just as I have also been fully known. But now, faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Well, that's because love never fails, because God is love. Love isn't just an act that we need to apply perseverance to. We probably do need to do that. But love has, as its own innate ability, perseverance. If we will love, we will get from it perseverance. We will get from it the idea and the, the ability to not suffer, or not uh, count a wrong suffered, to not seek our own, to all the things that are listed before this. Love provides that. It doesn't demand it. It provides it. Once again, the preeminence of love in John 5 is in life, in, in, in the very sending and ministry of Jesus. Look at this. Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, is Jesus talking, unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show him greater works than these, so that you'll marvel. What is, why was Jesus the way he was? Why did he have the command and the authority that he had? Because he received the love of the Father. And if you'll reflect a little bit over to John 17, that concept is what Jesus is promising to you and me. That the love that you love we with, me, me with, the same love, will be in them, and I will be in them. We have undersold the value of love. There's no question in my mind. And, I'm, and it's touched. Look at the things it's touched. It's, it's touched uh, ministry gifting. It's touched uh, evangelism. It's touched everything. If we can get this right, the struggle that we've had as a people and as a church either local or the church at large, to try to live out that passage where Jesus says, greater works that you do will I do. They're going to be accomplished through love. That's how you enter them. That's how you sustain them. And that's how you fulfill them. That's how it's going to be. Oh, Rebecca. For just as the Father raises the dead, that's what I was talking about, and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. Why? Because the Father loved him. Actively. Uh, for not even the Father judges anyone, but having given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. 
He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Why? Because the Father loves the Son. And then finally, love brings us into our place and our task in Jesus and in the kingdom. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. And the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. How are we sent? What is the primary characteristic of how we are sent? Are we sent by being endued with power by the Holy Spirit? Yes, but that's not the, that's not the motive for sending. Are we sent to uh, exegete the word? Yes, but that's not the motive for sending. We are sent because the Father loves us like he loved the Son. That's why. And that's where the power is going to be. A new commandment I give to you that love one another, even as I have loved you, and you also love one another. The next verse after that amazing verse is by this all men will know that you are my disciples. If we are frustrated with the people that are in our lives not knowing Jesus, not seeing him in us, loves the answer. And I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on anybody. I'm just saying we don't have to have a stronger argument. We don't have to have, I mean, I'm like I suppose most of you are, I would really like it if I could shoot lightning out my fingers and do other kinds of miraculous things. But if there's a path to go from where I am that cannot do that to the degree I like, to where I would like to be, it's probably going to be a path of love. Because a person who loves and manifests love can probably be trusted with more. Because they're sharing the heart of the Father. They're, they're, they're giving the Spirit more of the same to work with as the Spirit of the Father and the Spirit of the Son. So, somebody's got to have a thought or a question or a response or something. So are we going to learn more potentially in the upcoming weeks how to actually live out this love I hope so. For each other and for, for the world, because this is, this is very accurate and good, but a, a little bit cerebral. We don't necessarily sing songs about love this way. <laughs> so I, I'm just kind of want to, I'm eager to see the, uh, the hands and feet to this. Okay. Do you have any thoughts about it? Imaginations? I don't have, I mean, for me personally, I mean, even just speaking love out loud to people can be so, so valuable. Just over, over Thanksgiving, um, one of Cheryl's aunts, uh, she saw God as a big disappointed person in the sky who was really upset with her, just telling her, Jesus loves you and he can't be disappointed with your sins because he already paid for those. Don't take those back. And she broke down in tears yeah. at the idea wow. that God loved That's her. That's awesome. Um, but I don't know, I have all the answers by any means, but I just, I, I'm excited to see. Yeah to see this fleshed out, how we can individually and even as as uh, bodies of believers together love our community and each other. Yeah. So, so here's a couple thoughts uh, that, that the question and your passion stirs. 
we have we have some real comforting revelation about love in scripture we love because he first loved us this is love not that you loved god but that he loved us and sent his son to be the mercy seat so maybe what does it mean you know i i happen to think that that propitiation word the helos helos most word i happen to think that it's better to try to understand that as jesus is the meeting place between god and man where man's sins no are, are taken care of and essentially end up not mattering being dealt with. Way back when we started the question, what does it mean when John declared over Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? Love is going to be the way, Adam, that we are going to be able to speak to people and say, the sins that cause you shame and grief, they're not really the issue. Love is the issue. Receiving love is the issue. You are loved by God. There is a meeting place between you and God, and his name is Jesus. Somehow, I don't know, but yeah, we've got to get to that point. And I think that that's the whole point of this. And I believe that everything that we've sought to justify our existence as Christians and as witnesses and as ministers and as teachers, everything that we've sought is actually going to be available to us as love and in love when we learn how to how to receive it, first of all, receive it, and then how to give it. So, I hope so. Hold me to it. I'll try, and I'll hold you to it. Yes, sir, Jeremy. Yeah, Pastor, earlier tonight you were talking about uh, just a very plain statement about uh, the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit to us? And and it was something to the effect of, of uh, that which is responsible for connecting us with the love of the Father. Um, think back what Jesus referred to, uh, I'm going to send you uh, a helper. Um, and and so throughout the listening to you tonight, I remember that I think most of us have kind of moved past a point where we recognize salvation of itself uh, probably wasn't so much about a prayer and Romans Road and things like that, although those things are important, but was a point of a belief uh, at which happens differently at different times for all of us. And when it does happen, it's it changes things completely. And I remember thinking during your, your message tonight that what if that's a similar point of belief, which which propels us to consider things that we would never consider that we don't have to deal with shame anymore. It's been dealt with. And what does that life look like then to not have to deal with that, to recognize that we are in, not out, uh, to to really consider um, and not move backwards uh, what this is that you're talking about. And I'm wondering if maybe it is another pivotal point that each of us get to experience at various times, a uh, various time in our life. And from that point, then we're never quite the same after that. True. I really do. And I think love is a central, it, it, it's, it's the apprehension of love. We have come to know and to believe. Knowing that God loves, do you all know God loves you? Yeah, you do. I don't doubt that at all. You wouldn't be here on a cold Friday night. Uh, I know that. Do you believe it? In a way, yes, you do. But those two things are not synonymous. You're right. There is a, there is a, an awakening to the reality of something, to, to the ground of it. And unless people, unless we start talking to one another about the love of God as the central feature, not 
other elements that come in the wake of knowing that you're loved. Like living a holy life, being transformed. These are all magnificent things. Having spiritual power, having spiritual gifts. But it, 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 none of that will happen with the kind of purity that it's designed to manifest apart from love being the ground for that. I really believe that. So I think you're right. I'm praying it. I am. Sincerely. Yes, Ronnie. So if I were to be so bold as to rephrase Adam's question, <gasps> he's saying, how do we do this love stuff? Yeah. Okay. And Yeah, please do. So, Ronnie, what I would say is... I'm this. not done yet. All right. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I, just was, I was phrasing the question okay. to bring about a personal experience that happened for me is, and is part of the, what we've already mentioned, is the knowing and believing. Um, and I honestly, truly believe now that I never really knew, mm-hmm. but I thought I knew, but I definitely didn't believe because it wasn't a, an experiential kind of thing about God's love for me. Mm-hmm. So when it, there's a need for more love, I can simply ask him for it and know because he's in me that I have it anyways mm-hmm. and that somehow that's going to be able to come through. And you can count on experiencing I it. I can count on experiencing it. I can count on the power of it, the ability of it to be me. Yeah. Right, Holly? Yes. We are love. We are love. And so the idea here is, while you were originally talking about it, the thoughts were, okay, well, if I'm lacking something, I can just ask for it. James tells us that. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Amen. And so one of the other concepts that came to mind while you were talking is, is I don't think we understand the power of leveraging love. We try to leverage other things. We leverage faith. People do it all the time. You know? And 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 I understand the nature. We, we, we leverage grace. And we, oh, man, thank God for grace, you know? Love is the gift of, upon which all those other things are built. So maybe we can learn to leverage love. Well, I, I want to talk about manifesting love okay. in our mortal flesh because uh, it's something that I experience a lot. Mm-hmm. And I've literally led tens of thousands of Buddhist and Islamic leaders to the Lord through not quoting the word, but becoming love. Mm -hmm. So in the age of the church, we looked at love as an activity or emotion or something that we gave away. But actually, it's a frequency. And it's the highest level of frequency you can impart to another human being. And when that frequency, when your heart begins to beat with the frequency of his love, it doesn't make any difference how hard-hearted, how antichrist-spirited someone is in the spirit they hear that frequency. And their soul and their body might not understand it, but in their spirit, they understand it because it's a sound they heard before they ever came here. And the when, when, when we're talking about becoming love, this is something that goes above and beyond an action or an activity. Mm. It's we're becoming the fullness of the Godhead bodily dwelling in mortal flesh, which is moving into the the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. So if we if we want to manifest that love, we have to 
we have to actually understand the depths and the power of his love, first of all, for us, Mm -hmm. so that we can become what he is, which is love. Mm -hmm. And through all the nations, even even when amongst the cannibals and the headhunters and people like that, They'll come into the meetings to try and kill me, and they end up being my best friend. And the reason for that is they hear the sound of the frequency of his love in the spirit. And that speaks to them spirit to spirit, and it and it bypasses their soulish understanding. And so I think that as we're growing up into the measure of the fullness of Christ, which is where we're headed at the present moment, that that's going to become a natural response. I hope so. So it's not something we have to work up or yeah. something that we have yeah. to do. It's what we become because that's what he is. Uh, so. I, I, I certainly hope so. I hope the path includes, I, I hope that the relationship between we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. I hope that that is what we're talking about. That That by simply humbling ourselves enough to realize we need it and saying, Lord, uh, I know your love, help my unknowing. I believe your love, help my unbelief. Simple prayers like that. I think God will work with those. And and and, and then what we'll find, and I do believe this, I believe, because I've listened to some of your stories, Nancy, and I know that in the, in the first few times, as natural as it was, it, there was still the excitement of it almost catching you off guard. That there was such a power released into somebody, and that was the thing that turned them around. And, you know, once you've seen it as many times as you have, you can begin to recognize it. But I think that the path is before us to, to know and to believe. And I think it's important. Um, I don't know anyone here. <laughs> What's your name? My name is Daisha. Daisha, hi. Yeah, Gregory gave me a ride one time, and I haven't come in weeks, but um, I am pouring over. Because I did not know how, like, coming in tonight, how much I would need this message. Yeah. And I guess my question to you is, if, will you just pray over me? Yeah, sure. Because <laughs> I, I just want to tap into God's love. I've been a believer for years and years and years and years, and I just moved here from Florida from a church, and I've had months of struggling to find a good one. And... um and I've had a lot of frustration in my heart because my husband's deployed right now. Mm. And therefore, love is lacking. And I'm trying to pull into God's, and it's been just a struggle. And he brought me here tonight. Yeah. Well, I would like, would you mind if a couple of people come up and laid hands on you? Yeah. That. Come on out, guys. And uh, <laughs> praise God. This is, this is beautiful. Yeah. Andy. Let me get this out of the way. You know, something that I'm pretty sure about, having studied this for a while, and and like you say, Adam, gotten into the cerebral okay and amen part, but then needing to go the next, is if if it requires more than us simply asking. It's going to be pretty hard for us to get there, but I don't think it does. I don't think it does. Thank you. Well, Father, I just want to start by saying thank you for our sister, Dacia, and... Uh, We reach out and include her husband, Lord. And we pray. We speak the love of God released in your heart and your mind and your soul. 
We speak the love of God bridging the gap between you and your husband, the distance and the natural, and encounters in the, in the night, in the spirit. The thing that Nancy talked about, about this being a spiritual thing, uh, I just speak to your spirit and say, receive the love of the Father. Receive the Abba Father cry. Receive the love that has been poured out by the Spirit in a fresh measure tonight. And thank you for, for being led. Uh, and, you know, thank you for, that's what, that's all that he's asking. We speak a release of that love.